Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 50. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are so excited for this week's episode. We're not even going to tell you all what we had to do to get this one done, but we're happy to be here because not only of our guest, but it is our first birthday. It is Monoreal Radio's first birthday. Happy one year, Sean. Happy one year to you. 20 more till Monoreal can drink. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And we couldn't be more excited to be celebrating the first birthday of Monoreal Radio than with our good friend from BigFatPanda.com, John Sakari. John, Woo-hoo! how are you? Awesome. Thank you so much. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back. We're so excited to have you. All right. So we're going to get right into it here. Mary Poppins returns. We actually planted this, I think, when John was on with us. And uh, coincidentally, the first show of 2019 was with John Sakari. And we reviewed what was the Into other the movie Woods. That we did? I forgot. Into the Woods. Into the Woods. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So, Panda, you have a standing invitation anytime Emily Blunt is in a Disney film to, to hop Ooh. on the show. Okay. Jungle Cruise. Jungle you're Cruise. in. You're in. We'll do Jungle Cruise for sure. We're going to launch right into this as Mary Poppins returns. This one came out uh, Christmas of 2018. Dawn is breaking in London, and we meet Jack, a lamplighter, who is shutting off the gas lamps all over town. Admiral Boom is getting ready to fire the cannon and complains that Big Ben is, of course, late. Apparently, this has been going on for quite some time. We see an adult, Michael and Jane Banks, as well as Michael's housekeeper, Ellen, and his children, Annabelle, John, and Georgie. They're interrupted by two lawyers from Fidelity Fiduciary Bank who inform Michael that he is late on his loan payment and unless he pays his debt in full within five days, the house will be repossessed. Meanwhile, he's only three months back. He's only three months delayed. It's not like it's that long, but apparently these were in the terms of his loan. So never take out a loan with Fidelity Fiduciary. That's what we learned. I already the lost my business when they were doing their mustache circle dance, as we discussed in our Mary Poppins <laughs> review. Uh, we learned that Michael's wife has passed away and he is working part time at the bank for extra money. Jane and Michael set off through the house to find the bank shares that their father left them um, so he can repay the loan, as the banker said, in full. It really is kind of like very ridiculous way that he says it. While trying unsuccessfully to find the shares, Michael uncovers relics such as their old kite, but decides to throw it out. After taking it to the curb, it blows away and ends up in the park where Georgie finds it. While flying it, he gets pulled away, but is aided by Jack, who helps him reel the kite in, which is being held on the other end by Mary Poppins. She accompanies the children home, informs Michael and Jane that she will nanny the children and sets off to see that the children are properly bathed and dressed and informs the children that she will stay until the door opens. She draws a bath for the children and they set off for their first adventure where she teaches them that stuff and nonsense could be fun. Jane and Michael decide to see if the shares are in their father's safety deposit box at the bank. While taking out the trash, Georgie finds a picture that his father drew and he decides to keep it. At the bank, the deposit box is empty. Uh, Michael and Jane ask Mr. Wilkins, the bank chairman, and Mr. Dawes's nephew, by the way, if there is a record of Mr. Banks's shares, 
in the ledger, but he says that Mr. Banks isn't listed. We then see that Mr. Banks is listed, but Wilkins burns the page. Later that evening, Georgie patches up the kite using the picture his father painted, and Jack pays Mary Poppins a visit, and Annabelle and uh, John break their mother's Royal Dalton bowl, and they notice that the picture on the bowl is altered. So the five of them enter the bowl to investigate. A lot of this sounds crazy. But we will explain all of it. Um, After repairing a broken carriage, they go to the Royal Dalton Music Hall. Georgie, Annabelle, and John end up in a troublesome situation and fall off the edge of the bowl, but wake up in bed, convinced that it was all a dream. The children begin to discuss their late mother with Mary Poppins, who assures them that she is watching them from the place where the lost things go and tells them that her cousin Topsy will repair the broken bowl. The next morning, Jane and Jack bump into each other, and Jane remind, or Jane remembers Jack because Jack reminds her that he used to wave at her um, in her window while they were both children. Jack, Mary, Annabelle, Georgie, and John set off to go see Topsy, who informs them that it is the second Wednesday of the month and everything is in shambles and she can't fix the bowl uh, because of this. Um, But after Mary Poppins puts things in perspective, Topsy embraces the adversity and promises to fix the bowl. Later at the bank, the children hear Wilkins' scheme and confront him over it. Wilkins then threatens Michael's job when the children tell him about their ultimate plan. Wilkins promises to be in his office until midnight to give them the chance to pay the loan off. While walking home, they get lost in a fog, but thanks to Jack and the other lamplighters, they find their way home. Michael scolds their children, uh, his children, as well as Mary Poppins upon their return, but breaks down while discussing the events of the last year. But the children assure him that their mother is watching them from the place where the lost things go. Facing defeat, they pack up the house and say goodbye to it when they realize that the paper Georgie used to mend the kite are, in fact, the bank shares. But they don't believe they will have enough time to get to the bank. Jack and the lamplighters scale Big Ben, turn off its light, and turn back the minute hand by five minutes. They get to Wilkins' office to find one scrap of paper is missing. Wilkins says, no, bank shares are no good. And then here comes Uncle Dawes. And Uncle Dawes fires Wilkins. He says yes, does a dance on the desk. And he then tells them that basically... The bank account that had been opened for Michael when he was a child by his father has now matured. And to a tidy sum. Yes, to a, a tidy sum, as they said. Um, and it's enough where it can pay off the loan and they don't have to touch their bank shares. After they are celebrating the fact that they no longer have to lose their home, they go to the fair uh, where they go nowhere but up. And the front door is blown open by a breeze. And that's the door that opens and and tells Mary Poppins that it's time to go. So she has again saved the bank's children and she grabs her umbrella and she flies away for her next adventure. And now we rip it apart. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I was going to say, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) Well, I remember when they announced that they were doing this, there was a lot of controversy. They were like, how do you do a sequel to Mary Poppins? Yeah, the biggest thing I heard was, why isn't it her sister or her cousin? Why does it need to be Mary herself? 
Right. And at first when I thought that they were, I thought they were going to be so brazen as to do a remake when I first heard about this. So I'm glad they did it as a sequel. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that they recycled, not recycled, but I'm, I'm glad that they revisit the, the Banks children and it's still centered around them. Right. But here's where this gets a little gray for me. And I think it's just by nature of this film being a musical. And I think, you know, Panda, I know I know you love your Broadway shows, so I think you'll agree with me here. A musical's got to, like, expand and contract. And, you know, you can't just have straight numbers the whole, the whole way through. There's got to be the story woven in there. But you want them to move the story along. Exactly. You want okay. them to move a story along. And I almost feel like this sort of followed a pattern because I feel like where all of the songs were placed in the script, it's very similar. I dare even say almost formulaic to the original Mary Poppins. And I was kind of like, Rob Marshall, you're not really fooling anyone. I feel like he wanted to do a remake, but he knew there was going to be way too much backlash. All right. All right. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about the script now and we will eventually talk about the music in a few minutes. But the one thing that I definitely stood out to me was immediately as we watched this film for the first time, I thought, okay, Trip a Little Light, fantastic. That's Step in Time. Uh, yes, going, you know, uh, Turning Turtle. That's um, Love to Laugh. Yeah, it's Love to Laugh. So but it's even like, from all right, the beginning, I can see. You have the dad song in the very beginning of the film. That's the yes. first one. Then when Mary Poppins comes, it was either Spoonful of Sugar or, in this case, Can You Imagine That? Then they right. go either into the picture or, in this case, the bowl. bowl and, and it's yeah. Super Cal and now Royal Dalton, which also like goes in right into another song because it goes into Jolly Holiday. And in this case, it goes into cover is not the book uh then they come out and in the original it would be feed uh the feed birds. the birds and this time it's lost things go so you have the ballad do you want me to keep going no no <laughs> i mean we're gonna it's eventually exactly. but but yeah that no that 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 stands out to me it stood out to you john i would imagine it was the same thing when you saw this movie it the first did, time. but i have a little bit of a confession okay we're gonna freak out over for some reason mary poppins the original escaped me as a child i never I never saw it. I was into Wizard of Oz, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. For some reason, I was not introduced to Mary Poppins. So I only saw it like maybe eight years ago for the first time, and I did not like it. Wow. Wow. See, I'm interested. Now, here's the thing. I'm not surprised that you didn't see it because there there is a bit of an age gap between us and John. We grew up in the era where... Disney films went to VHS. But right. for the longest time, that was not the case. In fact, it wasn't until they put Pinocchio on VHS, I think in the late 80s. That was the first VHS that Disney ever released. So for us. Everybody else, mid 40s that I know, my age, they saw it and they think I'm crazy that I didn't see it. Absolutely bonkers that I, that I wasn't a Mary Poppins fan. And then when you watch it at like 40 years old, I don't know. It did, doesn't have something. So I kind of like this one a lot because this was, to me, my first Mary Poppins that I enjoyed. Isn't that weird? It, it makes sense, though, because unless you were going to see it on a re-release in the theater, right? You know, like when were you going to see it? You know, It wasn't like you could go to the library or the video store. Yeah, there used to be a thing called Blockbuster Kids, and you could go get a movie. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But wasn't it on like, all this digital for a long time? I guess not. It, no, I, I don't think so. 
No, because even the DVD copy that we have of the original, it's the 40th anniversary that we got from the, oh, so the Disney went, Movie Rewards. So it's, it's not one so that's long. like okay. in, in popular rotation. No, we had the VHS tape, but I remember it was like the VHS tape, and it was the same copy you saw everywhere. There were like no anniversaries on. Right. Do you remember what year the original Mary Poppins came out? 64. Oh, we just reviewed oh. it. Oh, sixty-four. Wow. Was, yeah, it was. Okay. I wasn't even a thing yet. So I, I think. Was, I yeah. I, and yeah, I I, I saw it, it because think, my grandparents introduced me to it. So I think this might be like it skipped the generation over you. I think. It was I 64. think that's exactly what happened. I want to say it was sixty-four because I think this movie is. 54, not not the timeline of the film, but the release was 54 years after the first uh, Mary Poppins film, and this was technically 2018. So it would make it 1964. It was right before Walt Disney passed away. Yes. It was within okay. a couple of years of his, of his passing. All right, so interesting. So I'm really interested to see how, how our reviews differ on this one. Um, let's start with the script. I, uh, I like that Jane and Michael, you're introduced to them like out of the shoot. I love the fact that for the most part, they haven't changed from the original in that they're both kind of, let's just, they're broke because they're lackadaisical. Jane is still, as Mary Poppins will point out, prone to giggle. And Michael is a painter. Not that there's anything wrong with being artistic, but like they didn't go out and get the corporate job that their father had. I feel like at the root of it, they're still Jane and Michael. They're they're more hardened to the world because they've grown up, but I feel like they're still themselves. Right. Well, I feel I, I feel like Jane kind of followed in her mother's footsteps because she was a suffragette, and now Jane is fighting for labor laws. So I think that was a way to. I don't want to say modernize it because this film takes place about what, like 20, 30 years after the original. It's yeah. the great slump is how they, they started off, which is like depression era. Right. Um, and they do a really good job of setting that up, by the way, just in the opening number where, where Jack is driving through the street or biking through the streets of London, I should say. And uh, you kind of see the lines where they're waiting for food and um, you know, it, it just looks like they've fallen on hard times. But um yeah, I, I like that they chose to have Jane working for a cause like her mother was. And Michael, same thing. It's the polar opposite of the bank. And yeah, I think if he went into the corporate world after the lesson that his family learned, it, it just would have felt wrong. And I also think that it's, and, and John, I'm interested to get your take on this as well. I do think that it carries over very well from the first film because the first film ends with let's go fly a kite and Mr. Banks, you know, he kind of oh, he kind of lets it loose. Right? And you you leave that film understanding that Mr. Banks is still going to be Mr. Banks. He's still going to look at the world in a serious way. He's still going to be a serious man. But he can let loose with his children, and you can see where that influence played out on them. Absolutely. Right? I didn't make that connection until just now, but yes. That, out of the gate, I liked it. Here's my one thing with Jane and Michael, though. <laughs> I feel like... Jackie's going to tear it up. I always, I always have a thing. Um, I think they got the casting all wrong. Like, I believe that this is who Jane and Michael grew up to be profession-wise. I don't think 
either the actor or actress looked the part. Emily Mortimer is is Jane, and um, what's his name from Spectre? I is, just call uh, him Q because <laughs> he was Q in James Bond. Uh, um, uh, Ben Winshaw. Yes, and um. I, I don't know. I just him in particular. I really don't buy because he looks like he's in a bad wig and a mustache. And the mustache is bad. He, it does. They're real. I. No. I yeah. No. It's it's all it's over real. his IMDb. Like though he he grew it in and it looks so bad to me. I just want to yank. It looks like an eighteen year old in trying to look older. Thank you. Yes. And between that and I'm I'm really getting nitpicky here, but. His clothes are very baggy, and I will buy into the notion that that's supposed to portray that they're on hard times and, like, he's really skinny, but I shouldn't have to make that connection. Like, if you want to portray that they're poor, like, put some patches on the elbows of the clothes or something. The house doesn't look like they're doing too bad. Right. I mean, they can that's still true. afford a housekeeper, so it can't yeah, be that bad. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I buy that because... If you remember in the original, it's Ellen and the cook, right? Yeah. So it's a chef and a, a housekeeper. Right. Uh, and a nanny. So they have three people. You, you've you got a ratio now back in the day of, of five adults on two children, and they can't seem to keep them in the house, which is a flaw of the original. But anyway, um, they've dismissed the cook, and now Ellen acts as both. I will buy that they can still afford a housekeeper because back in the day, women who were either a spinster or widowed, they're more concerned with the room and board than they are actually making money. So if the idea is to keep a roof over Ellen's head, then that's what they did. And that's why they're, they're keeping her around. Sure. When you're introduced to Mary Poppins for the first time, figuratively and literally, she hits the ground running. As soon as her feet hit the ground, she's just starting to, like, really kind of, like, dig into these kids a little bit. Just about, like, all of their imperfections. And it's it's so Mary Poppins, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, she, and we said this in when we reviewed the first movie, like, she's firm. She absolutely is. She has a heart. That's the thing. And kind of the way that, um, and we'll get into the character more in a few minutes, sort of the way that Emily Blunt plays her no pun intended is very blunt maybe a little bit more so and more sarcastic than julie andrews but i feel like she still felt like mary poppins and it was like as soon as she got there it was like we're we're just going to pick up where we left off with the banks children i i love emily blunt as an actress and i really did love her as mary poppins and as much as i love julie andrews i actually thought emily blunt was better because i wasn't tied to, to Julie Andrews as Mary Poppins because I found that movie just boring and I don't know why. I know that I'm definitely in the minority. I can see Jackie's like, what? Is he crazy? I loved Emily Blunt as Mary Poppins. I loved the sarcasm. And when we get to Can You Imagine That, there is something that I really loved. And I remember making note of it in the theater that I loved it. Well, then, so when we get to Can You Imagine That, we're going to let you bat lead off on that Thanks. one. We'll get to that in a few minutes. No, I don't think you're crazy. I'm kind of starting to put this together. Is You know what? I feel like because we're so used to, like, especially now with Marvel, we're, we're so, like, CGI-centric, Mary Poppins probably does not seem that impressive anymore because the, the effects were 
primitive in comparison. Right, it's subtle magic, not yeah. exactly. And they were they were practical. I mean, that's that's where we like worship Mary Poppins was because it was kind of like the pinnacle of Walt's career because every trick that he learned he threw in that movie. Um, so I appreciate it more from from a filmmaking standpoint. It's also different for us because we grew up with it and John didn't. It's the same way like it's true. Like go back and listen to our review of Pete's Dragon. You love Pete's Dragon. Even for its warts, I think the movie's ridiculous. You know, yeah, and I love it too because I saw it when I was like four. Exactly. Yeah. So, I, yeah. so I remember it a lot. Yeah, okay. Right, so, so Mary Poppins doesn't have this holy grail to me that it would wait if you saw it as a child. That's a great way of putting it, the holy grail. I definitely agree with you on Emily Blunt, though. And um, what I love about what she did is that when she found out she was cast, she started reading the books. And... I think that was a really smart thing to do on her part because no matter what, people are going to compare her to Julie Andrews. So I like that she tried her very best to make it her own and she's still sticking to the character. Which brings up the question that I am surprised they didn't make her Brenda Poppins. I'm kidding, but why did she (laughs) have to be Mary? Why couldn't she be, well, Mary's busy and I'm here now. And I'm her cousin, I'm her sister, so I know her very well. Surprised Mm. they didn't take the pressure off and do do her as a relative. My guess is, well, it's it's two things. The first being there were so there were quite a few Mary Poppins books. There was more than just the story that we saw put to screen in the '60s. The other thing is, let's say not necessarily needs to be, but we're going to use the name because you use it, Brenda Poppins. If you see <laughs> if, if you see a movie trailer for Brenda Poppins to the rescue, like, are you going to go see it? But maybe, maybe. Mary's dead. You have me now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know. I just think that, that, that it could have solved so much for the purists that are angry. And you could have even had Julie Andrews as a cameo in that movie because she didn't do it apparently because she wanted to respect the character and not call attention to her being there and let Emily have the limelight. Which I give her so much credit for. I really do too. And you we'll talk what? about clearly the role that was meant to her. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. The role that was meant oh, to her. Oh yeah, I, say. I totally could imagine it's got to be the Angela Lansbury role. Oh, a hundred percent. Okay, and you didn't tell me that beforehand. I, the minute you said it, that's what clicked in my mind. I think there was either potential for it to be Meryl Streep, but if you got Meryl Streep, like I don't think she was your second choice. Um, I definitely think it was Angela Lansbury. I respect the fact that they picked another Disney legend. But here's the thing. Being that they got Dick Van Dyke back, I did have all the respect in the world for Julie Andrews to to respect Emily Blunt and say, no, this is hers. I kind of feel like after we reviewed Mary Poppins, because it meant so much to them, and this was like her first big film role, I almost feel like she didn't want to be a part of it. And Me too. that was her like cover That was her up. way to get, yeah, that's what I think. A very polite cover up and, it, you know, Classy, classy. Very, very classy. But I kind of feel like... We think the same, Jackie. Yeah. Do you know they offered her a million dollars to do one day of shooting? Sure. And what do you have to do? Sit in a chair. Is that the easiest day on set you will ever have on your life? When we saw this movie in theaters and they have the back and forth, they'll all forget by tomorrow. The adults always do. And One more balloon left, Mary Poppins. I suppose it's yours. As soon as she said that... I turned to Jackie and I was like, that was the Julie Andrews part. No, and that's where I'm sorry. You were Mary Poppins and you have a responsibility to this fan base. 
get off your high horse, go sit in the chair and hand out balloons. Yeah, I don't think it would have taken anything away from me. I thought it would have been okay. Absolutely. I've in in fact, I feel like it didn't come completely full circle. I feel like we were ninety nine point nine percent there. My and sister said the same exact thing. My sister said, "I can't believe Julie didn't show up for a second. I mean, Dick Van Dyke is tap dancing on a desk. Come on, pass Nine, the balloon out. God years bless old. him. I have to. I got the chills when he did come on screen, though. Yeah, I, I remember um, when when we saw him come out on screen the first time. Meanwhile, you know he's in the movie because he was in the trailer and everybody had been talking about it. I st- I think I'm still bleeding from the knees because when when that door opened and he walked up and Jackie just grabbed my knee and you squeezed as hard as you could. I d- I I was squeezing. I cried. It was just pure Disney magic. But like, you know what? It it was kind of a sad cry too. Like I was happy to see him, but one of the things that we had talked about in our review of the original Mary Poppins was that um, he wanted the part of Mr. Dawes so bad, he like begged Disney to let him do it. And when he used to be in the makeup, he would go to lunch at the commissary and then st- he would stay in makeup, stay in character and go very slow past all the tour buses that were driving around the lot. And then he would find the same bus and then go sprinting past it after the fact. And that was something that had always stuck with me. And now I'm kind of like, well, there wasn't a lot of hair and makeup involved in this one. And it kind of just makes me sad. But it was good. He's a treasure. He is. And it was good to see him back. So digging into the script a little bit more, I like the fact that in the first movie, Jane and Michael are being cared for by Mary Poppins because there's friction with their father. Right now, obviously, there were a lot of comparisons between this one and the first one that you could make. And there are times where this borderline feels like a retread. I like the fact that they sort of pulled a 180 here and they did Jane and Michael are broke. Michael has lost his wife because remember, we lose a parent in a Disney film. So they kept that tradition going now, didn't they? Um, But I like the fact that they added a certain darkness to this movie that I feel like it, if it would have been anything but that, not only would it have been a retread, but I don't think people would have bought it as being that dramatic. Does that I make sense? They had to, they had to, yeah, they had to give it weight. I agree. I also think you can't have Jane and the mother, you know, like have two two maternal figures. I, I think that's just way too much. Um, but I agree with you. There's, I, I wasn't going to call it a darkness, but I think this movie is like overall less silly than the original. I think that has to do with the way that Mary Poppins is played. And um, I, I don't know, I guess maybe it's because so much of the comic relief came from Cook and Ellen and, and the mother going off and singing. I don't know. It just lacked that zaniness of the first one. And there is still the magic um, you know, they did still incorporate things like the Admiral shooting off the cannon and everything falling off the walls, but it still wasn't quite as silly. It wasn't. And one change that they made in this that I was not a total fan of, in the first movie, Mary Poppins subliminally teaches the kids lessons. And subliminally, 
gets them to do things like clean their room. And yes, there's magic and there's singing. And there's a certain amount of her snapping her fingers and snap, a job is done. But she incorporates that with the children having to actually do things. I feel like in this film, she, she just solves a lot of problems on her own. Other than teaching the children about the place where the lost things go to make them feel better about the fact that their mother has passed away, I don't feel like she taught them anything. I think that was the main thing. I think she didn't have to. It wasn't about the chores. It wasn't about that. It was about having fun and getting them back to being children and not adults. But I I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, But I think the lesson to be learned was much harder. And it wasn't about cleaning your room. It was about trying to deal with loss and being a kid again because they were growing up way too fast. That's a really good point because, yeah, in in the original, she's just really trying to repair the relationship between the kids and their parents. But in this one, you're dealing with grief and some really, really heavy topics. And you're absolutely right about that too, Panda, because in the setup, when they come from the bank to say that the house is going to be repossessed, the kids remind Michael that he forgot to go get groceries. So they're like, we'll do it. He gives them money, but it's not enough. And they're rattling off the list of shortcuts that their mother used to take. The day old bread. The day old bread and cutting corners to save money. And like, you can just tell that they didn't just deal with the loss of their mother, but the weight of the world is on their shoulders. Like that's, that's a lot for a kid to have to deal with. All right. Point for you guys. But no, I do agree with you. The the OG Mary Poppins, she used reverse psychology, and this Mary Poppins just kind of orchestrates things. To me, that's the big difference in the script. Totally. Certainly the big difference between uh, the two characters. I do appreciate the fact, believe it or not, that there is this romantic storyline between Jane and Jack. Because otherwise, to me, why is Jack here? It's true. And I didn't want to see another are they or aren't they like Mary Poppins and Bert. Correct. Right, right. And I think that that would have just been the the easy thing, borderline the sloppy thing to do, would have been to make it between Mary and Jack. But if if Mary and Bert didn't get together, why is she going to get together with Jack? Right. You know, it just doesn't really make sense. And he tends to pop up everywhere. That's the thing with Jack. It's like, doesn't matter where you are, here comes Jack. He's just there. He's as magical as Mary. (laughs) It's true because Bert was a jack of all trades and he had a lot of different jobs that made sense where you'd see him. Jack is a leery and yet he's everywhere. Right. Because as you remember, when it came to Bert, he would pop up and say, oh, today I'm a painter. Oh, today I'm a chimney sweep. It was almost like Bert was a child playing make-believe. Right. Whereas Jack actually had a job, and you knew what that job was going to be tomorrow. Um, So, again, it kind of gave it a a unique dynamic. I had mentioned before, I think that too often, we'll get into the music in just a few minutes here, but I think by the end of the movie, it just became so clear to me that they tried almost too hard to make a sequel for almost every scene. That's the thing. This movie doesn't feel like a sequel to Mary Poppins to me so much as each scene feels like a sequel to their equal scenes from the first movie. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you used the word retread before, and 
that's that's kind of what it feels like. A sequel remake. It wasn't until we got to a uh, squeemake. A squeemake. <laughs> a squeemake. I like it. We've created a new genre right here on Monoreal Radio with John Sakari. A squeemake. A squeemake. Um, it wasn't until they had gotten to trip a little light fantastic that I was kind of like, huh. <laughs> I've sort of I I see the trend now, and by the time we got it took to, you that long? Yeah, I think that admittedly, the first time I saw this, I was just so absorbed in the magic of this film, and yeah. we, and we had seen it at like. For, and for all that we're tearing it apart, let me just say the magic got me. Absolutely got me. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, don't I, without Barry. I'm not going to bury the lead, but don't don't let what we've said so far lead you to our final synopsis. No. We'll get to that eventually. Turn up the volume, enjoy, but yeah. you can rip it apart later. <laughs> but but. Uh, <laughs> It, we saw like a, a showing at like eleven thirty at night, and I had had this like horrendous night at work. So oh. like when I got there, I was like so mentally drained that no, it did not like not until we got to that number did it stand out to me that I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> and it kind of just by the time I'd seen the movie for like the second or third time, I'm like, each scene is a sequel of its old scene. And I think that's kind of where this movie rubbed a lot of people um, the wrong way. Also, speaking of retreads, the beginning of the film where the pipe bursts and everybody's in and out, did it not remind you of Noises Off? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of in and out and there's a lot of chaos going on. But in see, that that was kind of done in a good way. I didn't mind that it felt familiar. It, it didn't feel like a total ripoff. I tend to agree with you. You know what it is? <sighs> I wish they would have done it in one take, honestly. Then that would have knocked my socks off. Now, here's the thing. Before we get to the music, as we're kind of wrapping up the plot here, unless you guys have anything else you want to add on the on the plot or the script. Uh, yes. You do. One okay. thing, yeah. <laughs> All right. Go ahead, Panda. You first. Well, somebody, and this, I took somebody to tell me this, and I forgot who told me. Remember when the guy's complaining that the clock is behind or forward, it's late or it's early? Admiral yes. Boom, yeah. Admiral Boom. There's a part where Mary watches them going up to the clock and she says, it's not like they haven't done this before. So the, he probably is correct with his time and the clock probably is off because they've messed with it before for some other reason. I agree. And it's funny you bring that up because that was the part that I was going to mention. Not oh. that exact thing. Okay. But when they go and they set it back, Mary Poppins can fly. I was like, this yes. was an awful lot of work. Why yeah. didn't she just go do it herself? Somebody else told me that, too. They're like, really? She made them go on the whole ladder? Why don't you just fly up there and do it? Right. No, but your, your point supports that even further because it's like if she knew they did it before, she knows how to reset. So it's not like they haven't done this before. Yeah. This wasn't the, the punch of an ending that I wanted. No, and it it did fall flat. The, this, but then this you know scene, what? Dick Van Dyke tap dances on a desk, and I don't care anymore. It's not, the, that, the that end, was what I needed. Yeah, yeah. The end of the film is not what fell flat. It was this is how they solved the problem. Fell flat for me. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah. It's it's your story arc. You didn't really complete it. Right. It was it wasn't a strong landing. It seemed easy. It seemed sort of convenient. Yes. And sloppy. But I think that. In spite of the fact that there are a lot of times where this seems like, what do we call it? A squeakquel? A squeak. A squeak. Yeah. A squeamake. See? Squeamake. Squeak. A squeamake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where this seems like a squeamake. And we're taking a liberty with the word sequel and we're making it squee, but that's okay. It's a squeamake. It's a squeamake. As much as it is one, 
there are enough elements that are a little bit different where it doesn't, for me at least, feel like a total ripoff of the first film. Oh, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I mean, there's there are enough cool things that they did with this film where it stands on its own. I mean, I, I would have at this point opened the show calling it a total ripoff. And I don't feel like it is. I feel like, like you said, it's very familiar. There's a lot of parallels. I think structurally, yes, that's where it feels the most like a retread. But there's there's enough here where it's it's strong. Okay, we'll go into the music. Yes. What do you think? All right. First off, we're getting into into the first um, song, uh, Lovely London Sky. Can I just say, from the onset, Cherry Tree Lane looks great, by the way. Yeah, right? It did. Yeah. They did an amazing job recreating that set. And that wasn't like CGI. That was a recreated set. That was beautiful. Yeah. A lot of these sets were actual sets. There was only... The only set where it was mostly CGI was when they did the covers, not the book. Right. Which, and of course, when, when they did Royal Dalton Ball. Oh, you mean the animals weren't real? No, the animals weren't real, Jack. Sorry to, sorry to spoil it for you. Um, but Lovely London Sky opens it. It's uh, Jack that's singing it as he's shutting off those gas lamps. I think it's a fun start. I think it's a great introduction to Jack specifically because i think what the song does really well is you know he basically says in here this is a dying art and technology is going to put me out of a job in not so many words but he does he does basically say that in a more articulate way than that of course but he still has this great disposition about him and i thought that it was just a really creative way and i thought it was a really unique way to introduce a character that otherwise we don't know anything about you know, seeing as he's brand new. Agree. Completely. And I loved the old fashioned credits. Yes. Through the, right? I like yes, that. Yes, with the it's paintings like, oh, and the font, everything was spot on. Now watching the movie with the credits going, this time it was like, nope, settle in. We're going to give you some music. You're going to look at a kind of a static scroll and we're going to give you a, you know, a little taste and a bouche of the movie. <laughs> I love yes. it. It's perfect. It does go on for a while though. I'm okay with that though. I have because to I just say- know it was it was purposely old fashioned. Yes. Yeah. No, and that's that's where even though it it does get a little repetitive and it feels like the first one, it's like I still I feel like I would have missed it if it wasn't there. Yeah, I think it it did a nice job of paying homage to the first film. I have to say though, with "Lovely London Sky," before we move on to the next song, I feel like Lin Manuel Miranda had such a twinkle in his eye singing it. Like, he totally embraced the Disney magic. I feel like he just got it. Yeah, me too. And I will be the first to say, and I said it on this show many times before this movie came out, I had no interest in Lin-Manuel Miranda at all. A lot of people felt that. We had reservations about him completely. Sean's big issue was it was that he didn't want him to rap in this film. And at the point where he does, it's not really a rap. It's some fast talking. I looked at him in the theater and I was like, I think somebody's turning into a Fanwell Miranda. You know what it is with me? And it's and it's not just him. It's kind of anybody where it's like you've never heard of this person before. And you wake up one morning and they're the most famous they're person everywhere. in the world yeah. and they're brilliant and we've never seen anything like this. Well, that's and called hard work. I'm not saying... It's called paying your dues because he really say- did. I'm not saying he didn't. 
Right, I'm sure he would look at that differently. <laughs> I'm not. Yes, but I'm not him. I get. I get it though. I didn't know. I, was, I woke up the next morning and people were like, "He's the most influential songwriter since Freddie Mercury." And I was like, "Stop, stop." Who is this <laughs> he's in, person? He's in Moana. He's everywhere now. Yeah. Right, but. Um, I will say, without spoiling anything, that my opinion of him changed after I saw this movie. For sure. And no I doubt hope he it. has a very long, successful career with Disney after this. So do they I. retain yes. their people. And well, he's this also proved to me he can work well with others rather than like running the show. Yes. And I think that's a very good point. I think, John, that might have been part of my thing was, so you got really famous because you wrote yourself a role. Right. So, right. yeah. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with my reservations with him. But with all that being said, I want to see more. And I didn't um, I didn't like Moana and I didn't like the music of Moana. And that was really his first like thing with Disney. So after yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I was kind of like, well, so this is the great guy that everybody's gushing about. And then but after this, it's now I can't wait to see what what he can do with Disney. I can't wait to see more of him, really. Anyway, that's my that's my Lin Manuel Miranda story that nobody asked for, but guess what? You got it anyway. <laughs> um, the next song is "Since You Went Away," which is the song that Ben Whitshaw sings. Which actually, the, its proper title is "A Conversation," but if I said oh, a conversation, I liked it actually. I thought it was good. It's heartbreaking. It it's really is absolutely heartbreaking. But it's it's a very basic melody. But it's beautiful at the same time. Oh, and the way he sings it, like a conversation, I, I thought that was great. Absolutely. You know, for as much beef as I have with his mustache, like this is where I was like, all right, I, I understand why they cast you. Because it's it's so well done. Yep. I love the, the attic, too. He's so gentle. Yes. That's that's the perfect way to put it. Absolutely. Listen, it, it is what it is. Call it what it is. It's something everybody can relate to. Everybody has that person that you can sing this song to. So it's immediately relatable. And it, yeah. it's, they, go, they go right at, right for the jugular. Because this is what? Ten minutes into the movie? Thereabouts, yeah. Right? So like they waste no time. But it's great. No, and it's, it's so well done too in the sense of you get the big picture of him grieving. But then there's even all those little moments where he's like, I could use some advice on how to brush our daughter's hair. And I'm like, oh. God, like that, that got him, me. yeah, like how young they are, and yeah, that that he's you know clueless raising such young children without her. Yeah, totally in over his head. It's um, rough. It is rough. One of the best songs in this film. When I first saw the movie, I thought this is going to be the showstopper, and then there was another one that I said is going to be the showstopper, and then another one came <laughs> that I said was going to be yeah. the show. Can you imagine that? Now, I, I got to say, we will get to the place where the lost things go. I think they, and not that it's up to me, but when they announced nominations, Oscar nominations for Best Original Song, I think they picked the wrong song. I agree. I think this, or maybe a cover is not the book, to me are the two that had had either one of them been nominated this one probably more so than a cover is not the book i think if if it had been nominated it probably would have won the oscar that's just my opinion yeah and what i was going to say before which really wasn't part of the song i kept thinking cuz i don't remember knowing this from the first movie mary poppins was is she aware of like what she's doing or does she just do it 
And this song, they let you know that she's totally aware of the magic and of the silliness. And it's like she's self-aware when she does the whole bathtub thing and she's being sarcastic. And, she, and they're like, are you going to go in after her? And she's like, well, no, I've already had my bath. And, <laughs> and all this stuff, she sits at the end of the tub when there's nobody else in the room. She looks right at the camera and she goes, off we go. And she's got that smirk that says, I know exactly what I'm doing. And I thought that was great. That self-awareness is what I needed to be like, oh, I'm totally in with her. She's not, you know, just crazy. You're right, because in the original Mary Poppins, there is a there is a point where you kind of wonder, is she insane or not? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good point, too. I feel like where Julie Andrews played her much more vain, Emily Blunt played her more self-aware. And fun. I just felt more fun. I don't know why. Yeah, I think I think Off We Go was kind of lost on me because that was in the trailer. And I, I don't know about you, but I was sick of she that is so them. excited to get these kids rolling on an adventure and off we go is like all right here it begins to to see what we can get out of them i remember just thinking oh that was perfect the way they did that it was i was just i was sick of it by the time we actually sat down to see the film i want to talk about the production in this number a little yeah. bit because i i love the song it's so much fun i love all that that all the characters are planted like they see Ellen they see the admiral I thought that was really cool but the way that they actually filmed it was impressive because to get that effect of them floating in the water they had to shoot slow motion and if you think of any sequence ever that is shot in slow motion usually it's got a score and there's no talking there's no singing because what happens to the audio at that point right you have to make the audio match the camera speed and it's damn near impossible and yet Disney decided to tackle it anyway because they had to play the song double time so that they could shoot it in slow-mo yeah Panda's jaw just dropped I only saw them going down a real slide for the tub I had no idea about the whole slow motion thing yeah yeah they played that's how they got the floating effect but to do that she had to sing it twice at double the speed Wow. So can you imagine that like fast? Like, yeah. Like, so they, wow. so she had to lip sync it. They all had to lip sync it in double time. So imagine the hand eye coordinate, for lack of a better term, the hand eye coordination that needs to be. That's like rubbing your stomach and patting your head. You need to sing in double speed, but swim in normal motion. Or, because, or even maybe slower. So, right. Oh, no, because then when right. they, when they slow, slow it down. Because slow motion, you're running more frames right. through the camera. So you have to. You have to double the speed so to keep that's the song how up. they that's how they make it work is the reason why it looks like they're swimming as you would slowly because there's obviously tension when you're in the water was that was the slow motion, but they're singing it in in standard that's time because great. they because they, they lip synced it in double time. I also remember being aware of the dog's fur looking like it was underwater. I was like, yes. they even thought of that. The dog looked great underwater. He did. And I love how this song, first off, I love how tongue-in-cheek it is. I love the fact that there's still a lesson to be learned here. And there is that reverse psychology. You know, with that whole, can you imagine that? And it it almost has a double meaning. The stuff and nonsense could be fun. Well, I had that too. Let me also tell you, I thought it was stuffer nonsense. I thought it was a (laughs) word. Until you just said stuff and nonsense, I was like, oh, okay. It's all that that double time. You lose you lose it a little. <laughs> I love I like the Peter Pan reference in the song. Won't grow up and won't grow old. Is that it? Yes. Yes. 
I love the whole stuff and nonsense thing because to me, it shows character growth in Mary Poppins because she's so stern in the first film. And like you said, she's vain. And then, uh, and then she said when, uh, whatever the lyric is, something like, uh, when the job is done, some stuff and nonsense could be fun. And she says it with that inflection, like it's yeah. just dawning on her. Right. Because in the first film, she wasn't really about stuff and nonsense. Not with the children. She was trying to do it for Mr. Banks. Not so much the kids. But now, because obviously for the reasons that John had pointed out with trying to let the children be children rather than adults, it's almost like she has this realization that we can okay, have a little stuff notice, and I didn't even take it like that. I thought... She was just teaching the kids that that nonsense and fun could be. But now I'm seeing it the way you just said it. I agree. Yeah, and they bring it back too. even later. Yeah. yeah. They bring it back even later with, with Michael because then he says you're filling the kids' heads with stuff and nonsense because he's so far gone he, and so stressed out. Let's talk about Royal Dalton Music Hall. Love it. Yes. It's not the song that I love so much as it's the scene. Because oh, the scene is fantastic. The song is fun. What I love about it is, as you pointed out before, she couldn't wait to get those kids on an adventure. And she goes, we're going on an adventure, children. Don't spoil it with too many questions. Yeah. <laughs> Don't spoil it with too many questions. <laughs> I remember I, just, I laughed so hard <laughs> when she said that when we saw this movie for the first time. And it still catches me every time we see it. The song's okay. The scene is great. The scene, let me tell you, in 3D, that scene is even more beautiful. Oh, it it wow. just pops off the screen. If you didn't see it in 3D, I hope they bring it back in 3D. Again. We didn't. Because that was worth it in 3D. We didn't. It just looked like a real cart. It was like it was like what they probably should have done with Roger Rabbit or could have done, the way it was cartoon and live. And When they picked up that wheel, it looked like they were picking up the cartoon and it had weight to it. It was great. It was amazing the way they passed through the the animation to to prop that yes. it was crazy because they do it with the hats too when um, uh, Georgie is sitting up front with the driver and he passes his hat to the dog and the dog gives him his and it, it it's seamless it's amazing. This was where I really had the beef though as far as paralleling the original Mary Poppins because I was like, all right, this is jumping into the into Bert's drawing all over again. But I ate my words like two seconds in because this is where it is kind of worth doing either a sequel or a remake like this is because this is an area where they did actually improved. And I, I was shocked. Like the way that they got the curvature of the porcelain bowl and they make her slide yes. down and they put the texture of it yes it yes. blew my mind the texture of the crackiness of the ceramic well it was Dolphin. so clever yeah i love the fact that they actually painted their outfits what they are wearing is not uh, cgi they took they took outfits and they hand painted them to make it look Ooh. 3d it, okay. that blew my mind too yeah i mean the, and the animation sequence. well the animation's amazing too and, and that like, whole is, is great and call me a purist but like i like seeing hand-drawn disney animation and we're Do not you know it wasn't done by disney what i don't know why but i looked it up somebody had told me that for some reason they outsourced this 2D animation to another studio. What? I don't even know. We should check that. We should Google it at some 
some way. Do you want me to Google it while we're doing this? Uh, yeah, because that's going to change my entire final synopsis of this film. Oh, I don't, and I don't know why they would do that. Unless they were bogged down working on something else is the only thing. Because remember, they're working on Onward. They're working on Frozen 2. Uh, no, you want to talk about stuff and nonsense? This is your wheelhouse, Disney. You don't skip the animation. Well, if you remember correctly, when we had Randy Cartwright on, we had him on when we reviewed Waking Sleeping Beauty. He said that there is no major studio in the United States right now doing 2D animation. A lot of it's off in Japan and Europe. Uh, unless it's, he said, unless it's a small company that's doing like a passion project. Because he said, even like cartoons for television now, most of it is done on computers or it's outsourced overseas. You're Disney. Sit down with a pen and paper. Do you know what bothers me about this scene? Oh, so much if this is true. Um, first off, anytime, and it especially, like, I would, I kind of chuckled to myself every time I heard the name Georgie because all I could think Georgie. about was Pennywise and, and then the, the end of the movie when they're all grabbing balloons I, know, I was like <laughs> this is too thought. easy no and it had come out like right months before this it, it was the same year no it came out like a year before this I thought it was the same year no all right well that's my bad because you watch it so much I love I thought they ran like right into each other I love that movie Oh, my God. With that being said, every time I heard that, I, I had to laugh. But if you look at his outfit, Georgie looks like the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. <laughs> it's literally <laughs> it's literally the exact the sailor same outfit. outfit. It's true. And I, the hat, the I, poofy hat. I understand it's supposed to be of its time, but... When I saw him, all I could think about was Ray Stans talking about roasting marshmallows at Camp Wakanda. Before I get rid of the screen, it looks like Duncan Studio in Pasadena, California. And it was done hand-drawn on paper. And it's because they said a lot of people weren't alive that knew how to do 2D animation the way it was done back in the day. Oh, that makes me want to cry. It says something. It says the effort took assembling a team who still knew the old techniques that yielded everything from 1937 Snow White to 1992's Aladdin. Ever since the rise of Pixar, most animated major family films, such as Toy Story 3, Ralph Bricks, the Internet, have been created using CGI. The last Disney film to be fully hand-drawn was Winnie the Pooh in 2011, which, I have to say, The Princess and the Frog, I don't know when that was, that's a lot of 2D also. Same Unfortunately, yet. it says none of those guys who originally made Mary Poppins are around today. Uh, but there is a sort of generation between that. Some people, like, they're giving names that we would not know, uh, not to insult these people. 64-year-old Kian, I wonder if I'm pronouncing that, who was a character animator on 1977's Pete's Dragon and the Rescuers, uh, especially on the look of the Royal Dalton Ball scene in the new film where the carriage, but we decided that if we're going to do it, it had to feel in the same vibe. We did a lot of work studying, nerding out, looking at the old backgrounds, Cabo Bianco and Torley referred, of course, to the original film for guidance. They even stared at Fine China. In the new film, paintings on a Victorian-era bowl come to life. It says in the original Mary Poppins, their technique was to mimic a chalk painting that was drawn on the ground. That drove the look of that entire animated sequence, Turley says of the Jolly Holiday scene. He and the animators tried to evoke the same feeling for the Royal Dalton Ball. Once the aesthetic was locked down for the magical land that Emily Blunt's Mary Poppins and Lin-Manuel Miranda's Jack would venture to, the creative team began a year of production work. 
at one of the last 2D animation studios in the U.S., Duncan Studio in Pasadena, California. 80% of the final film was drawn on paper by more than 160 animators that scanned into a computer and colored. The final challenge was combining this analog medium with the digital world of the live-action film. The last time he reckons audiences watched flesh-and-blood actors immersed in a 2D world to this extent was in Mary Poppins and 1971's Bedknobs and Broomsticks. So it could also could be the reason why they didn't do the 2D themselves as they did need the live action to interact with the 2D. But it sounds like they were very involved with this Duncan studio. Well, think about it. You can give a six-year-old kid an iPhone and he could turn on and off a light switch in, a car. in New Zealand and he could, <laughs> he could DVR Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and then watch it three days later on the same iPhone Hand that kid a Walkman. Wouldn't know what to do with yeah. it. Would not have control it. Would have no idea what to do with it. No, and I can I can get on board with supporting a smaller business, but I'm just shocked that, I mean, I, I get it. We are a couple of generations removed, but I'm surprised that they weren't able to get anyone that could show them how to do the 2D. It, it looks like that's what they did, though, is try to get somebody to show them how to do it by going to people that might have been involved who were no longer working for Disney, but now were working for this other company. So it sounds like they were really involved with that, and they went to old friends that just happened to now do something different. That That is mind-blowing. You, you, know, you know what the result is? We didn't know it, and the result was that we liked it because we thought it was them doing their old stuff, and that's what they were going for. So, in theory, they got it right. In theory, they got it right. It kind of was Disney, even though it wasn't. True. and I, I, I was shocked it, when I first heard it. That is shocking. But I will say this. I'm glad that even though it wasn't Disney animators, I'm glad that they didn't just to, choose to CGI it. Yeah, and I'm, it's, I, I like the fact that they hand-drew it on paper and scanned it in because that's the old Xerox method that Walt Disney used to use right. back in the day. So it's good to see that some of those traditions, even though not done in Walt Disney Studios, they're still upholding them, at least in this case. I love the fact that Wilkins and the other lawyers from the bank, they play the wolf, the badger, and the ferret yeah. here. I didn't realize that until my second viewing, that their voices were the same. Neither as, did I. In fact, okay. in fact, I turned to you when we saw this in theaters. I thought the wolf was John Cleese. Because I'm thinking now at this point, they're just grabbing every British actor they can to put them oh. in the Yes, yes. Not realizing that was Colin Firth, I didn't realize. I think until the second, until he was playing with his uh, pocket watch, and the yeah. kids pointed out, "Oh, that's the wolf." Yes, that's when I realized it. No, it does. I mean, I, I guess he did like a slight variation on his voice. I like that they did recycle. You know, even though they weren't completely able to recycle the Disney animation, they were able to recycle an old idea. Um, yeah. One of the numbers in the original Mary Poppins was um, called the chimpanzee. And I believe they took this from the books by PL Travers Yeah, and the whole number where I think it was supposed to be within the paintings was um, the idea was that humans were in cages and animals would go and visit the cages. And it was a song written by the Sherman brothers, but they ended up axing it. And I feel like the same thing kind of happened again because they actually had different lyrics for Royal Dalton Music Hall and it was similar vein. It was about animals, but they axed those lyrics and 
we have Royal Dalton Music Hall as we know it now. But I like that they went back to an old idea because you still do get that feel as they're driving through the porcelain bowl and seeing all these other animals. So in other words, if we get another Mary Poppins movie, don't even bother trying to make a chimpanzee scene because it's just going to get cut. Save your time and money. Cover is not the book. In totality, not just the song, but in totality, this to me at least is hands down the best number in the film. Really? <laughs> I think this so. This one's my okay, jam. This was the one that I checked out a little bit of the movie on. Mm, interesting. Wow. I thought it was a lot of fluff and nonsense. Ooh. I was wondering where we're going to differ, and I know where, where John and I okay, are. And, you know, and, and I do think it moves the story along, but I thought it was too much. I wanted to go back home. I wanted to start solving issues with the family, and now I'm on stage, <laughs> and they're all getting dressed up, and there's costume changes, and Diana Ross is coming out at some point. <laughs> I just thought, all right, and it went on. It seemed to go on a lot, a long time for me. He did do his rap, and I'm like, this is to showcase these two talents, and I'm over it now. I want to get, let's get back to the story, please. Do you know that song with that rap was written before they had even cast Lin-Manuel Miranda? I don't know who they were going to get to do that, but that was done before he was even cast in the film. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, exactly. Like, when I saw this, I said, oh, they wrote a rap for him because yeah, he got cast. Piece. That's exactly what I thought he wrote it. Right. I'm surprised you didn't like this number. Like, I, I love the the vaudeville vibes, and <gasps> I love how the two of them are interacting with each other, and I love that there's even, like, a little Disney message in there, how Walt always liked to preach without preaching, and it's, you know, saying, obviously, don't judge a book by its cover, and it's what's on the inside that counts, but at the end, they also say, crack open a book. and Like, yes, children, go yeah, read, I please. I on its own. I just think I was so into the story of the movie that I thought, all right, all right, come on, let's get along with it. I want to see what happens now. I guess, too, in comparison to the rest of what's going on in that whole sequence when they go into the bowl, it's not as dynamic as okay. when they're chasing It was also psychological for me. I felt Mary left. Because she did that change and looked like Mary Tyler Moore, I felt like Mary left, and then she changed her voice to that original book. So maybe they don't. I, <laughs> that cockney I, I was like, okay, where's Mary? What happened? <laughs> she left. She abandoned me. <laughs> I think I had abandonment issues, maybe for real. I really do. I feel like she left. And, and she she was a I'm, terrible nanny because then the kids end up yeah what happened you in this car chase while he wants having his giraffe stolen. Oh, uh, I'm never gonna look at that the same again. <laughs> She's gonna step behind the book, put the hat on, and I'm like, oh god, sorry, evil. This is Brenda Poppins. This is Brenda. <laughs> the alter ego. Absolutely. This is Brenda Poppins. Yep. Oh my god. the chemistry between her and Lin-Manuel Miranda here I can't even read my notes (laughs) I can't even read my notes I think I like the penguin well the Sid okay so the penguins I like because that was that was obviously a tribute to the original film but I I do feel though 
that all joking and laughing aside, um, I, I think that the chemistry between the two of them together hit their stride in this song. Because up yeah. before this, I wasn't really buying it because it was, as I mentioned before, Jack just pops up in places and why is he here? He has a job. Why is he here and where's Mary? Yeah. Like, <laughs> who is this strange man that out of nowhere is sitting on the balcony of the bank's children's playroom? <laughs> Yeah, most places would consider weird. that creepy. This is starting to get strange, <laughs> but but this is where, to me, their relationship really does hit its dynamic. But I love everything about this. I love the outfits. I love her Cockney accent. I love the set. Now, the, I was disappointed to find out that this set was CGI. That was all green screen, now, obviously, believe it or not. You, you watch yeah. it, you know a lot of it is going to be CGI'd, but I thought at least some of it were practical. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think Lin-Manuel Miranda was actually climbing up a flight of books, but for, you know, when she pulls the, the thing on the tree and the leaves pop out, like, that could all be done practical, and I thought it was. Yeah, uh, well. So, fooled me. So, the next song is The Place Where the Lost Things Go. This is obviously the song that they had, yeah, twist the knife, put it in your heart. This is the one that they put up for the for the Oscar nomination. And uh, I, I think the song, it's a downer, of course, but it serves a purpose similar to um, a conversation mm. since you went away. Um, it's something everybody can relate to. And I think that that's especially where it twists the knife. It's a great song. I don't think that it's the best song in this movie by far. Um, but I think it is a, a lovely tune. And similarly, or similar to the first ballad, it's sort of basic in terms of its melody, in terms of its composition. Mm. It's not some like big over the top Broadway ballad. It's no. sort of basic, but it works. And it does give the kids strategies to deal with things. Because obviously, when there's the reprise from the two kids, they picked up everything that she was putting down. Yes. So it's good in that respect. It's it's sad. It, there's no doubt about it's, it. But uh, oh, it's, it's kind of oddly comforting. Right. And it's I love the line. And you want to believe it, but you don't know if you, as an adult, could you? You want to? That exactly. kind of thing. Exactly. Especially because yeah. they do the nod to the nursery rhyme. And she says, uh, the dish and the spoon are hiding behind the oh. moon. Something like I I love yes. that. Well, not only yep. is that a nod to a nursery rhyme, but in in one of the Mary Poppins books, she does take the children, not not in a Pink Floyd sort of way, to the dark side <laughs> of the moon, but she does take the kids on an adventure to the moon, and I think they do see the dish and the spoon. So that was in there. That, oh, I don't remember that. This is something that was in one of the Mary Poppins books. Oh, I love that even more. I really do have to read them. I keep saying it and saying it, but so my that's... TBR pile is... A million miles long. Oh, I don't have to know that from the original movie. That was in a book. That was in a book, yes. Okay, that's why I don't remember the trip to the moon with Mary <laughs> I'm like, wow, I really blacked that out of my memory. No, that was Brenda. Don't worry. That was Brenda. <laughs> Brenda, Lizzie, Jackie. Wasn't that halfway through Mary Poppins? Isn't that the infamous line, Houston, we have a problem? Or was that a different movie? Oh, no, that was a different movie. I think this is where Panda and I are really going to disagree. Okay. Turning Turtle does absolutely nothing for me. And I have seen this movie probably a dozen times. And every time I watch this movie, I go, this is going to be the time that I love Turning Turtle. I, I didn't love it. 
Okay, all right. Wow. Why didn't, didn't you love I didn't, it? I didn't have disdain for it. I thought it was a nice vehicle for Meryl Streep, and I thought it was okay, but it kind of stops the story and is just like, oh, they needed to fill time here. This, to me, is I love to laugh, but with Meryl Streep in an unidentifiable accent, which is funny to me. <laughs> I give her a lot of credit because she keeps going, not in a Tommy Wiseau sort of way, but she keeps coming out of these bizarre Eastern European accents, but she does it so flawlessly. She does, yeah. But you she know what? commits to anything she does. Yes, very true. You know, you said before it's funny. Like, why couldn't they have made this Mary's like sister or cousin? They do say that this is Mary's distant cousin. So yes. I thought that was kind of interesting. That now they've given her a family member when she's like this mythical person, and now I... she's got like something tangible. Well, maybe Meryl is also a mythical. I mean, look at what she does. She's not really there, kind of. I bet you can't. I bet you once Mary leaves, you can't visit her, her cousin. That is very true. You can't find the door. Yeah. And do so, they ever get the bowl back? I don't think so. Oh, I thought they did. I think the bowl oh, is yeah, just I never go back for it. That they never go back yeah, for it. Yeah, they don't go back uh, for it. Jackie, next, you know they're supposed to make another sequel, right? They don't know now. Uh, we'll talk about it and as we I'm wrap just thinking that bowl could show up at a at an antique shop and the family picks it up. I'd rather it remain in the place where lost things go and let's just <laughs> close the book and not close try to draw a story book. where there isn't one. You don't really, I want Brenda Poppins now. I really do. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. She could be a tranny. I'll go do it. <laughs> I was going to say, who would you cast? But that, okay, sign me, me up. Little, I'm on board little, with that. A little, a little itty bitty umbrella flying around. <laughs> I would pay. Oh, God, is that a sight? I would pay. I top dollar top and I dollar. want 3D. <laughs> so so for those of you who um who don't follow Panda's channel and you should by the way. Uh yeah. Pause this and go hit the subscribe button cuz I want I want him to get his I want him to get his button on 100,000 followers <laughs> from YouTube cuz he just I finally got past that. 80. We I'm got past 80 though. Almost at 90, so let's like 10,000 more to go. Okay, oh, we'll get exciting. you there. Thanks. Us exclusively, we'll get you there. If you thought he looked good in his Hades makeup, which I told him I expected him to wear. Oh my god, that at, was At 100,000 I'll be Brenda amazing. Poppins. Yeah. I can't wait to see him as Brenda Poppins. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> I can, can now. You imagine that. <laughs> can you imagine? There used to be a show on TV where the nannies would go and take care of the kids and some of them were rather large nannies. And they were really nasty. Do you remember this? It was like a reality show where the parents would call. Oh, yes. Nannies would come. My yes, gosh. yes, yes, yes. And she had a whole catchphrase. Oh, I don't know, but they straightened those kids. They were straightened right up. Yes, I do know who you're talking about, and I can't remember her name. I remember. I vaguely remember it. I think it was one of those, like, it happened on Fox and Gordon Ramsay was a lead into it sort of thing. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> it was like, let's, let's get two hours of the most angry British we can on American yes. television. <laughs> yes. All right. So, uh, Triple Little Light, fantastic. I didn't get to oh, throw that's right. my two cents in about I'm Turning sorry. Turtle, and you know my feelings about Meryl Streep. I agree with you on the, on the vehicle for Meryl Streep. It's like, let's get another name in this movie. Um, Love to Laugh It Is Not. And I think that was the most disappointing thing about the whole number for me is you have this amazing set and they didn't utilize it to the fullest. And Love to Laugh has such amazing pra practical effects. That was, 
I feel like they really missed the mark here, especially because, you know, and if you're new to the show, if you're tuning in, if you're one of Panda's listeners, first of all, welcome. Um, but Sean and I are big 90s children. Like, we are totally products of, of that era. And what I remember the most is that I remember when the video for NSYNC's Bye 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 came out. And I was a big fan of MTV. I watched the whole making of the video. And when they shot that, they spun the room. And they had them, like, tethered. And they were dancing. And they were on the side and on the ceiling. And... That's what I wanted from this. I wanted the room to rotate. I wanted them to be walking on the ceiling or not even on the ceiling, but just like for the room to spin and them to be walking as it's in motion. They didn't wait. Why do I feel like I remember them doing that? They didn't do that in the movie? They slide down one of the walls, but it it spins and it's upside down, but they don't keep, they just kind of stay in one spot. They don't like keep okay. like climbing yeah. the walls and stuff. Okay. If Lionel Richie could do it, why couldn't they? I'm saying, and Lionel Richie was I in the I also 80s. think the phrase turning turtle, it doesn't quite, it seems like it was a real big stretch. I don't see a turtle as upside down. I see it more as trapped when it's upside, I don't know. Yeah. No. Yeah, like they, they can't recover from being upside down. Right, she sings it to the kids as though it's a common phrase that we all know. And it's like, no, right. you haven't sold this to me yet to sing it yet. She made it like it was as common as saying happy birthday or something. Right. Now, if exactly. she had sense, you know, obviously she was cousin Topsy. So if she had sang that she was going topsy-turvy, we right. all would have understood what that meant. Yeah. But what yeah. I couldn't understand what turning turtle. And even when she, like, she said it the first time, I, between the thick accent and everything else, I was like, what? what? No, it's, and the whole idea is you're just trying to get them to look at something from a different perspective. There was a lot of choices to do that. Even the dancing, like the choreography in this movie by and large is really good and so is the cinematography but i just felt like this was thrown in that i just nothing about this was special to me so triple little light fantastic this i loved i loved it as i said before as i said earlier this is where as i watched the movie the first time i thought we're retreading too much i think that the bmx bikes can are a little distracting to me but it's a little circus so like little circus so like but other than that I, I think... like how the set comes alive from the beginning of the song to the end. Yes. I remember I kept looking at the fountain going, that thing better turn on. They yes. better turn that fountain on. And sure enough, at the end, it's, it's all going. And I love, again, and it's sort of the common theme in all of this, even in Turning Turtle, there's a lesson in the song. And I love that they, they kind of keep that consistent with what they did and what the Sherman brothers did when they wrote the, the songs for the first Mary Poppins film. It's that every song has something that you should take away from it. What was the takeaway from this one? Even when you feel lost, you, you look to the good things and you look gotcha. to your friends and your family and your support system and they will be your guiding light. My favorite line is... When life is getting scary, be your own illuminary. So exactly. it should come oh, from within. Yeah. yeah. So with that being said, and I love that wonderful line, can I be honest? I hate it. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Not just dislike Goodbye, everyone. Have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> um, I honestly, I've tried. I've tried to get into it. I have tried to like the song. 
I don't really like the phrase trip the light fantastic to begin with. I think it's a weird way of saying dance. I know it's an old timey phrase and I love old timey phrases. I just can't get into it. So I really don't appreciate a a whole song being built around it. Uh, Step in time. You're not and you're never going to be. And they tried to make it just as long because that number lasts for 14 minutes. yeah. Yeah. And this one tried to be as long and it certainly didn't need to be. I like the dancing, but I, I miss the dancing on the roofs. I miss the tapping number. And okay, these are two different movies. It's not supposed to be a recreation. I actually do like the BMX bikers. I think that's cool because it was their own take on it. I just, I, I don't know. There's just something, I think I wanted more from it. And I think the song is a little too fast for the kids. I mean, like, they're, they're kids. I don't want to be a harsh critic of them. But I feel like they get lost in it sometimes. I like the orchestral arrangement of it. I do. I'll give you that. I do like that. It just, I don't know, it doesn't do it for me. Interesting. And I thought, because it's weird, we've not really ever talked about this particular song, so I would have thought that this was one that you were really on board with. No, because I want, I mean, most of this movie, I sat there with like a stupid grin on my face because it was just that magical and I was swept away with it. And then this took me right back out. Okay. Like if Dick Van Dyke had showed up in this number, oh yes, of course, Trip the Light, my favorite number, but like not doing it for me. Okay, that's good. It, it comes back again because he does sing to Trip a Little Light. When yeah, then I, then I cry. Yeah. <laughs> like, then I will cry without fail. So. All right, so can we, let's talk about that scene we'll just for a moment a here. Bit. Because it's... Oh, that scene's the best. It's the best. Yes. And, I mean, he doesn't miss a beat. He does not. What impresses me the most every time I see it, and even though I know it's coming, it's not like you see him start to walk up the desk, he goes on the chair and up the desk, and, like, they cut away. You watch, it's him. It's not a stunt double. It's him. You've heard him say, they gave me two versions to do, and I chose to do the one that was more physical. Did you hear him say that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That was great that he, yeah. And yeah, he doesn't, uh, let me, let, come on. He took an Advil, uh, at the very least, <laughs> uh, Percocet, at, probably, <laughs> and he did the scene. But he did it really good. He really did. And he always gets me excited. And you know he's saving the day also. Yeah, when he kicks that door in. Hey, Willie. I'm like, yeah. yeah. Like he's about to get his comeuppance. I'm so happy. And I like I Colin Firth. Tell that he really does love those kids, not just for the movie, but in real life, he was, you could tell he had a relationship with those kids that it was good. Absolutely. And the kids knew, I think, they were in, in the presence of a legend. Yes. They all did. And it's funny that you say that because you would believe that he had been with them for quite some time. He, yeah. he was only on set for two days. Really? But I think, but from what I understand, the stories you hear, like, that's just him, though. That's just how he is. Like, he just seems to be so approachable. Yeah. And he treats, but he's so, he loves Mary Poppins. Like, it still means so much to him to this day. Because let's be real. I mean, yes, the Dick Van Dyke show, it's brilliant. And it's what made him and Mary Tyler Moore famous. Mary Poppins made him a movie star. Yeah. Right. But he appreciates old Hollywood because he was a part of old Hollywood. And I think he appreciates what that movie meant to people. And I think that in the most part, for the most part, it does transcend generations. People are still talking about it. That's why they make this movie 54 years later. 
But he really does love it and appreciate it for what it is. So I was so happy to see him back. And now... 54 years later. Wow. Right? Yeah. And so now, now as you get into the last song, like you're really upset that Julie Andrews wasn't there. But I loved Angela Lansbury in Nowhere to Go But Up. So did I. To be honest with you, would I have liked to have seen Julie Andrews do that song? Of course I would have. But and The whole theater would have been crying at the end if it was Julie Andrews. Oh, yeah. I, that might have been, like, too much, actually. It I don't might, know that I could have handled all of that. It might have been. I, I would have liked to have seen it, but there was just something about seeing Angela Lansbury... I you know I I guess because when when we were kids she was so famous yeah because she was doing murder she wrote well that's when I first saw her, I thought oh, who was murdered in this movie I... <laughs> Brenda Brenda that's why they sent you because you murdered Mary and came in her place but it was murder she wrote she was Mrs Potts like. Yeah. I think, and she was in Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, right. obviously before before we at least were born. But like because she was a part of so many things that we knew growing up, and Julie Andrews, for us as adolescents, was really not to not to water it down. She was just quote unquote, for lack of a better term, just Mary Poppins. Sound music. right, right. See, but I rush up on your Broadway. No, but see, so that's the, I, I've I've seen honestly, I've seen the Sound of Music maybe twice. I, I've seen Mary Poppins, the original one, a hundred times. I'd have to watch it again, but it just it's like the King and I. Like for for the longest time, I couldn't differentiate between one and the other. I'll be honest with you. The more I listen to Nowhere to Go But Up, I think the better this song gets. It's yeah, better it's... and better and better. Every single time I listen to it. There is a line that I love and I'm forgetting. So as you're talking, I'm going to quickly look at the lyrics because there's one line that I love. She sounds amazing still. Yeah, because I think she's older than Dick Van Dyke. She is. She's what, like 94, I think? I think she's 93 or 94 years old. She's only a couple of years older than Dick Van Dyke. Not that much older. You would think that somebody... Of that age, maybe she doesn't her, sound hoarse. Doesn't like there's no weak. vocal fry. Nothing. Yeah, her voice hasn't given out. Yeah. You know how many times did she have to sing, "Be Our Guest" or what's that song Beauty at Christmas time? She's also got that big Christmas song. It'll come back. Angela to. Lansbury, really? Angela Lansbury. Ad- admittedly, the title escapes me. No, she's got a big Christmas song that you hear. But okay, I got the I got the line. It's a simple line. It doesn't mean much. It just struck with me. Give a lift to a foe for you reap what you sow. And I was like, I kind of like lived my whole life by that mantra. And I kind of love that it was in that song. I really do. That is beautiful. Yeah. It's a karma. You know, you you give the energy you you put out there. And I think that's important. So I like that they put that in there. We need a little Christmas. Because we need a little Christmas right this very minute. That's Angela. Okay. Well, I think there's like four recordings of that because yeah. every Christmas song's been recorded a dozen times, other than the Billy Squire Christmas song, which, as Jackie and I discovered this year, we it's like the one Christmas song we can't get sick of. <laughs> but um, that's the other one. So yeah, I mean, but the fact is, she's been in show business for you know sixty years, and she doesn't have the vocal fry. But no, to touch on what you just said, 
there are so many lyrics from this song, that one in particular, that just stand out to me. But there's so much you can take away from this. But my big thing is we've we've all been stuck in a place where we didn't want to be. And this song, I, I wish I would have had this song 10 years ago. Because for everything that I would have thought that I was happy about or happy with in terms of like a job, right, or like how much money you have in your bank account, even the vain things like that, or your kind of car that you drive. I wish I would have had this for the days where I was really kind of beating myself up, especially when you're, when you're in like your early 20s. Because like we graduated college into the recession and like we couldn't get a full-time job. And I was totally broke, you know? And I always thought I'm never going to get out of it. And of course I did as I got older. Like I just wish I would have had this then. This song is for everybody. It's true. It's like when you're at that low point, it's very hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But yeah, there's can't get any worse. Well, that's it's, this is just a nicer way of saying it's it. the it's the best way of saying it, because how often you go, well, it can't get any worse. It's it's that glass half full or half empty thing. Very true. You basically this is the glass half full way of saying it can't get any worse. But yes. but it leads you to believe that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And it doesn't mean it's an oncoming train, mind you. Like, there is no, a light at the end of the tunnel. No, that's only on Mr. Toad. That's only Mr. Toad. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> that traumatized me as a child. It did. I thought we were dying. Yes. I was five years old. No, for real. And it's so loud. So we went out to Disneyland for the first time uh, this past November. And it had been such a long time since I had ridden Mr. Toad. I forgot that the ride ends with you going to hell. Yeah. <laughs> I can, now I understand why they and pulled their it. their Snow White doesn't end with a nice princess in a box getting kissed by the prince. And I was like, their Snow White scary ride just like abruptly ends. That was terrible. I wanted to see the nice scene at the end. No, that's right. And their Pinocchio ride is weird, too. Yeah. Yeah. There is just to wrap so up on this song because there was a couple of lyrics that stood out to me. I remember when we heard this song for the first time, and it's literally the first three lines of the song. Life's a balloon that tumbles and rises depending on what is inside. I remember hearing that and going, oh, no. Like, I was like, <laughs> I'm going to lose it. I have not lost it this entire film, but I'm going to lose it. It goes back to what I just said. That's something that everybody can live by, but what a poetic way to start this song. What a way to start this message. This is a three and a half minute message that starts with that. Like, they could have just been like, life's a balloon that tumbles and rises depending on what is inside. Credits. <laughs> and it would have been fine. They just elaborate on it so well that this has become one of my favorite songs. This song also could have been nominated, I agree. It, yeah, yeah, it could have been. It should have been. I don't know that it would have won over the other two, but it could right, have been they looked, they looked for the emotional weight, but sometimes there's emotional weight even in a happy song. Yes. True. Like, no, and like the whole number for, is beautiful, too. Yeah. The way that it's shot. Oh, yeah. It really is. The colors, and I think that's part of it, too, is that, well, when you think about where the movie started in the beginning, when he's biking through London, it's gray, it's very dreary, and now that we've gone on this whole journey, everything's bright and colorful and light and airy. So, final synopsis for me, at least. In spite of its warts, of that it has many, I still love this movie. It's nowhere near as good as the original, but... I have a very soft spot for this movie. 
seeing as we grew up with Mary Poppins, I loved Emily Blunt in the role. And I thought that there was enough differences where it started to feel like a bit of a ripoff or a retread. It kind of went in the other direction. And I'm always going to enjoy this movie. This is one that I could put on and I don't get tired of it. Panda, what are your overall thoughts? Because the first one did not resonate with me because I saw it later in life. And even as a Disney fan, I just felt it was slower and needed more to it. This one, to me, I feel is better for me. It resonates with me. I enjoy it more. I like the songs even better. And I and those songs were with me throughout my childhood. You know, Spoonful of Sugar and all that stuff, especially being a Disney nut. But I hadn't seen the movie, so I didn't really connect it. So I do like this one better, and I love Emily Watts. I really do. I do, too. I think that's where she's probably my favorite part of this movie. And there, there are a lot of great things about it, but... I just love the spin that she put on it. I love, you know, every like glance or sideways look I, I think was just perfect. She just really, really nailed the character. But for as much as I've nitpicked it apart, it is still a great movie. I think it holds all of the Disney magic of the first one. But it's like you said before, Panda, I think Holy Grail is the perfect phrase for it. The original still has the edge for me. No doubt. And for me, at least as well. Panda talked about before the potential to do a third movie. Rob Marshall wants to do it. Emily Blunt wants to do it. But for all intents and purposes, even though this movie drew a profit, they kind of considered it to be a box office disappointment. This yes. movie this movie only made like $360 million, only $360 million at the box office, but off of a budget that was like $180 million. So like, It came out Christmas. Well, here's the thing. It came out Christmas number one. Christmas is no longer this like big movie weekend that people think it is. Right. I don't think a lot of like people make these big deals. Oh, this is the Fourth of July opening. It's like so what? I don't think that these holiday weekends mean anything no, anymore. No, Fourth of July. It comes I'm on a boat, not in the theater. But it opened up against Aquaman. Ah. And you know what? I think a lot of people wanted to see Aquaman, and this movie became. I'll get to it next week. And a lot of people didn't. Well, I mean, Jason Momoa without a shirt or Emily Blunt in a hat. I was just upset that no it wasn't. Jason Momoa. Listen, I wanted Adrian Grenier to be I know. So did I. Aquaman because of Entourage. Yeah, but seeing what it is now, there's no way they would have made that movie. No way. But I just think that given it's the holiday, given what it was up against. So now they were like full steam ahead with this idea of doing a sequel. And now Disney comes out and says, um, no, there's no plans for a sequel. We don't That's really exactly know what we're going to do. Just, yeah. It seems like everybody wants to. In February, Disney said there is no plans for another sequel. But I have a feeling we might see it. If uh, Especially it matters on what it, what it did on video, which it just recently came out, right? Like two or three months ago. Right. If right. it did well in home video release and gives it a second life because – it did better its second week in the theaters than it did in its first week. Right. The box right. office went up. It's also on Netflix. It's one of the few where Disney has to still honor the contract before Disney Plus comes out. So it is on okay. there as of right now. When is Disney Plus is November? November, November. 12th. Ah, oh, okay. Coincidentally. We're going to be in the parks. We will be in the Magic Kingdom on the day of the release. So, like, I'm really excited to see, like... What are they going to be doing in the parks that day? Seeing as how we were in Disneyland and Stan Lee passed away, like, I'm really hoping this is more exciting. Crazy story about that that I mentioned on the show. When Stan Lee passed away, when they announced that he had died, 
I was in the queue for Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, and whose character comes on screen? Stan Lee's character, because like they had him in one of like the relic cages. He (gasps) came on. And all of a sudden, I started to hear people cry, and I'm like, "What? It's Stan Lee!" And then, like, I got breaking news from like CNN or wow. whatever it was on my phone, and I was like, "Oh, this is weird." That's very weird. But literally, I grown men crying on the queue to Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm like, "Well, this isn't going to be fun now." Well, and it was great. By the way, the ride is great. Didn't well, take anything away. Fun, by the way was when Mary Poppins steps down on the stairs and the nail goes into her foot. Oh, no, that's a quiet place. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's amazing. No, see, speaking of sequels place? we don't need. We did see a quiet place. I thought it was a good directorial debut for Emily Blunt's husband, John Krasinski. They're doing the sequel, too, now. In Georgia, they're filming it. Yep, ah, they Georgia. They almost you, did it on Long yeah, Island. They were location scouting on the island. Oh, were they? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Jackie, did you hear about The Little Mermaid live? Yeah, you know what? That's that's why I wanted to make sure we hit on how they filmed Can You Imagine That? Because I'm curious to see if they're going to employ that same thing. Oh, no, no, no. Not the live action. The uh, Oh, for, yes. The musical. Yes. They're going to do Just, live on TV. You want to talk it, about weird. What was the first movie we reviewed on the show? Was Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid. So on the first birthday, here we are now talking to John Sicari about the Little Mermaid, not only the live action remake, but now going basically doing what Fox and NBC yeah. has been doing and doing these live and on TV puppets and stuff too. And I can't say her name, Ali Caravallo. I don't. In any You're event, doing I better than speak. John Travolta and Idina Menzel. Oh God, Adele. <laughs> I can't wait to see. Uh, that's going to be good. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I think that. I need really to review good. that whole thing. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah, Peter Pan was a mess. Who played Peter? Who was it that used to play Peter the Captain, Pan? Oh, the Captain Hook guy was, uh, well, you know, I can't do his voice. The, he does all the wrong weird cadences when he speaks. Uh, uh, John Malkovich? No. Oh, God. Not Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken, yes. Yes. Who he was it? Captain oh, Hook. Oh, Catherine Rigby, wasn't that? That's who I'm thinking of is Kathy Rigby as Peter Pan, because I just remember those commercials as a kid. Okay, no, they did, and they did a live Peter Pan with Christopher Walken recently. And it was a mess. I didn't see that. Oh, but I want to see Christopher Walken as Hook so bad. He's like, well, you know, Peter, I got to come get you. I can't do it. <laughs> no, that, that's good. That is really good. Peter, the yeah. crocodile, no. Yes. <laughs> that's it. You did it. You have it. That was perfect. The, you know, the only the only live musical thing that I think that I've seen that I actually liked of all of them was A Christmas Story with Maya Rudolph. Who's actually was really actually cool? Really good. It was really yes. good. You ready for this? If you watch it back again, the set that they filmed the house and everything on was the same set as Gremlins. So in Gremlins, do you remember when they were walking at Christmas time and she talks about the death of her father? Yes. In the chimney? Yeah. She's in front of those houses there that they filmed up the Christmas story. So it's a set of houses that they can just keep changing for different things. In this case, it was Christmas both times. So you can see the similarities of the set. Oh, I Amazing. go back and watch it because oh, I wow. love Gremlins. Yeah, Phoebe Cates yep. gives that yes. side. And, it's, and the thing is, it's supposed to be serious, but because that movie is so tongue-in-cheek that that entire scene comes off as tongue-in-cheek to this day no, i don't I know still, if it's supposed to be funny or not it is suppo- no it's supposed to be serious and i still i remember being very sad when 
they found her dad in the chair. Oh, gosh, what a horrible To thing. me, it reminds me of, we were just talking about who framed Roger Rabbit when they go, dropped a piano on his head. Well, it's, yes, it's supposed to be sad, but it's so outrageous line. that you just can't yes. help but laugh. Gremlins um, is another thing that's supposed to be rebooted again, by the way. Yeah, I heard that. Joe Dante's talking about doing it again. I, I could live with it. I just, like, do it. I guess you could do a third one. I just don't want to see a remake because the first, even the second one is stupid, but it's fun. Yeah, like the, right. it's just so good. Like, don't reboot it. Just make another one and let's make, make another it on. one. Yeah, I agree. You gotta be something original from it. Yeah. And if they do another Mary Poppins, I I think we should do a departure from the Banks children. You were saying they never picked up the the Royal Dalton piece, right? Oh, but we do. That's need to in go an antique shop, and another family purchases it. That's a way for Mary to come and revisit a different family. I can get down with that. Yeah, I could live with that. We want to know what you guys have to say about it. Let us know what you think on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Monoreal Radio. John, I want to keep you for just another minute, if you don't mind. We had talked about this before we came on. You got to go to Galaxy's Edge. Oh, okay, I, I saw it once during a media preview while it was being built. But then it's cast member previews now, so I have a lot of friends, thank God, that are cast members. And one of them invited me. And we spent about four hours there. I could have spent longer. It was bigger than I had thought. It was raining, and it still was a great, beautiful area. I built a lightsaber at Savi's workshop. It was great. And I didn't think I was going to love the Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run as much as I did. And I really can't wait for Rise of the Resistance December 5th to open here. I know we're so, just... Yeah, when are you going to be down here? We fly back out on November 15th, so we're just, just going to miss never it. never know. They could do a soft opening. You never know. It's possible. But I, lo- I loved it. I couldn't, I couldn't be happier with it. So, do you, like, compared to the films, do you, feel that it, do you feel that it's a Star Wars film that's come to life? Yes, but it's not a familiar one, meaning because they want it to be your story and Batu is different, it doesn't feel like you're on Tatooine or whatever, but just... When you look at the rocks, you know you're in a Star Wars film, yeah. And then when you're finally, listen, I walked around for a half hour and did not see the Millennium Falcon. That's how big it was. So when I finally saw it, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, when you see that, you know you're in Star Wars. But it is undeniable. There, there are structures and colors and things that are undeniably Star Wars across the whole thing. So you know immediately that you're, you know. So, like, is it similar to Pandora where, like, even as you start to enter Pandora, like, even, like, the vegetation changes because I'm like I'm sort of under the impression, and I could be wrong because I haven't seen it. It's almost like you walk underneath something and then you come up, and all of a sudden there you are on Batu. Right, because if you go in from Muppets Muppets 3D, and there is going to be another entrance by Toy Story, but if you go in that way, you're going through like a little cave and making a curve, and then you're seeing this. It's really the rocks, the trees. I didn't notice were any different than like trees that you would see in a Star Wars movie, which are pretty regular. Okay. Uh, it was the rocks, just the the rocks and the spires and these volcanic spires. And then everywhere you go, the cast members have two sayings. When they when you leave them, it's till the spire. So that when you, you say okay goodbye, they look you go till the spire. And then there's another one. Oh, may the spires keep you. Okay. And I was like, that's so weird. And when they hand you a receipt, they tell you here's your credential. Do you want to keep your credential? So there's a whole huh. bunch of stuff going on. Right, and you don't pay with money, you pay with credits, right? Credits, everything's credits. 11 credits, 12 credits, yeah. I can't wait to see it. I'm so excited. I'm excited, yeah, for for that fully immersive. I mean, I don't want to talk about the other park, but 
what I do love about Harry Potter world at Universal is that it's the same thing. There's certain things you can't say, even like the right down to the badges and the name tags, they all have to be. You're going to feel that that way in Star Wars. Yeah, I think that's really cool. John Sakari from BigFatPanda.com, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks, guys. Thank you for celebrating our one year with us. And what are we going to do with the next one is what? What's the next Emily Blunt one we said? Oh, Jungle Jungle Cruise. Jungle Cruise. So you Give a will... standing invitation anytime, Emily Blunt we'll, or we'll Meryl Streep. Yes, we'll do something before then. <laughs> Just before you go, would you like to plug your social media? Because I know you've Big, launched a few things, too. BigFatPanda.com goes to the YouTube channel. Uh, BigFatPandamonium.com goes to the Facebook group. And then Big Fat Panda Show is Twitter and Instagram. John, thank you so much for joining us this week. News this week. We've got some company news. We've got some personal news. We have a lot of news. Yes, starting with the company news first. They've announced the bundle pack, and we kind of thought that this was coming for Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN's streaming service. $12.99 a month for all three. That's a bargain. Value on the dollar-wise for the amount of content that you're getting, it's a steal. It's basically if you were going to pay for Hulu and pay for Disney Plus, you're getting ESPN thrown in for free, which is fine because I would never actually pay for ESPN. Hey. What? Some of us worked for ESPN. That doesn't mean that all of their content is good. No, and I mean, that's about what we'd be spending anyway because we already have Hulu. Obviously, we're going to get Disney Plus, so... It's it's a win-win. I love how approachable they've made this entire thing. Because they could have priced it at such a higher mark and people still would have subscribed to it. So I give them a lot of credit for making it something where it is budget-friendly. And I think that it's I think it's going to do really well. I think they're going to lose money for the first year or two. It's going to be a while until they see a profit turned on this thing. But they have the luxury of waiting, you know, those two years no and you know what you have the fox acquisition you just opened galaxy's edge don't be greedy yeah you don't need more so our personal news this is exciting yeah we're very excited here because we're doing another contest we're going to celebrate our birthday with you yes we're giving you a gift for For our our birthday. birthday put that in perspective The first episode that we ever reviewed on this show was The Little Mermaid. So we are giving away a Blu-ray, digital, and DVD combo pack of The Little Mermaid. And it couldn't be easier to enter. You can go to Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Or you can go to all three. You could do it at at all three. And you kind of get three entries, actually, if you do it that way. Ah, Mm. that's the way to do it. Um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, make sure that you like the page. Follow, like, depending on which platform. Whichever platform, follow or like. Um, like the post that uh, explains the contest, tag a friend. If you do that, you're entered to win. Couldn't be easier. No. If you do it on all three, you're entered three times. Very straight, simple, to the point. And you're entered to win that contest, which we are going to run until... August 26th, 2019 at 11.59 p.m. And while we are on the topic of dates and times, here's another one that you can mark down on your calendar. November 10th, 2019, starting at 5 p.m. I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. Okay, well, for those of you who just have not lived and not experienced the monorail bar crawl, what you do is you visit a bar... 
at each of the hotels along the monorail. So Sean and I have done this before. We're very proud of our personal record of 45 minutes. We were responsible, of course, but we were also going to be late to Ohana. So we had to condense the crawl a little bit the first time we tried it. So we teased this a couple of months ago, and it is the official date now for monorail with monorail. We want to meet you guys when we come down to Disney World in November. Yes, we'll hang. We'll have a couple of drinks. We'll talk movies responsibly. Yes, and we're going to be a, a lot more relaxed. We're not going to make you do this in 45 minutes. I mean, we can if you're up for a challenge, but we're, we're giving ourselves three hours. Stay tuned to our social media, and uh, we'll announce which hotel we are going to be starting at. Yes, thank you guys so much for joining us, number one. Number two, thank you guys so much for an incredible first year. I couldn't be more happy with what this show is doing. I couldn't be more happy uh, for what the show is going to do in the future and for all of the support that you all have given us. This really has been amazing, and it's been more than I ever thought that it could be. Absolutely. I look forward to sitting down with you every week and talking movies. And I absolutely love hearing from the bigger Disney community and interacting with people and hearing your thoughts and opinions on movies and, you know, the friends that we've made from this podcast. It, it's just been an amazing year and we're, we're so appreciative. Right. All of the n- not just not just the people that are listeners and of course, you guys are so important to us. But the other content creators that are out there, and there's just too many of you to name. But we thank you all for your support. We look forward to continuing many years of friendship. And it's only the beginning. So for Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies. The stuff dreams are made of.